Hey, this is Mohal Joshi from Los Angeles, California. I follow Indian foreign policy and defense with a special focus on Asia. You can follow me on Twitter at Mohal Joshi. Hey, this is Kishore Narayan from Bengaluru in India. I am an international relations expert specializing in global security, conflict resolution, and international negotiation. My focus areas include peace building and digital diplomacy. You can find me on Twitter at Veggie Diplomat. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of India Rising Strategic Conversations with Mohal and Kishore, a show in which we analyze happenings around the world and their implications on India. We have been away for a month traveling, researching and catching up with all the news from around the world. Without any further ado, today let's start a discussion on Prime Minister Modi's visit to Japan to take part in the 13th India-Japan Annual Summit. Remember in our previous episode when we discussed Russian President Putin's visit to India to take part in the 19th Indo-Russian Annual Summit, we had mentioned that India has this arrangement with just two countries, Russia and So, Mohal, while we understand that this is an annual commitment between the two nations, haven't PM Modi and PM Shinzo Abe not been meeting all too often? Yeah, indeed. Uh, while this was the 13th annual summit between India and Japan, it also marked the 12th meeting between uh, Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe and Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi in the past four years. Even when as the CM of Gujarat, uh, Narendra Modi, when he was a virtual pariah in the West due to the travel ban, uh, Shinzo Abe was one of his closest friends and he did meet him even back then. True, true. So uh, were there any optics on the trip this time? Yeah, so prior to the summit level talks, uh, Prime Minister Modi landed in uh, Yamanashi where he first visited the Fanuk Corporation, one of the largest makers of industrial robots in the world. And he took a tour of the robotics and the automation facilities. Uh, Prime Minister uh, Abe also hosted him at his personal villa near Lake Kawaguchi. Uh, in fact, Prime Minister Modi was the first uh, foreign leader to be invited to the villa, which shows the close bonhaimi between the two leaders. True, true. And uh, and also uh, how uh, Abe was teaching Modi how to use chopsticks. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So how did his other commitments look like? So on day two of his visit, uh, he was in Tokyo where he had multiple appointments. He gave a speech uh, at the Make in India Digital Partnership and the India-Japan Partnership in Africa uh, seminar. Uh, here he addressed the Indian and Japanese business leaders and encouraged the deepening ties in infrastructure, capacity building and communication. Uh, additionally, a memorandum of uh, cooperation between the Kangawa Prefecture and the Ministry of Ayush in India in the field of healthcare and wellness was also exchanged. Okay, so these were all the sidekicks. Uh, what happened in the actual delegation level talks? Uh, yes, the finally both leaders had uh, had delegation level talks where developments in bilateral relations were reviewed. Uh, at the end of it all, uh, six new agreements and two new announcements, including on a high-speed rail project and naval corp co cooperation, 
was signed and also they agreed to hold a annual two plus two dialogue we can discuss the important ones uh, following this sure you were talking about two plus two dialogue uh, we had discussed it in our episode four about uh, such a dialogue between the u.s and india in fact india and australia also has a similar dialogue but at a joint secretary level now india and japan are also starting it out right yeah that's true the two prime ministers reaffirmed their desire to further deepen the bilateral security and defense cooperation by instituting the two plus two foreign and defense ministerial dialogue uh we have agreed they said that we have agreed for a two plus two dialogue between our foreign ministers and defense ministers the aim of it is to further work towards uh, world peace and stability interesting during the joint press statement right interesting okay uh, strategically too india and japan announced the implementation of a new arrangement for deeper cooperation between japan maritime self defense force and the indian navy in that backdrop with an ever expanding scope of cooperation between the two countries they have now begun talks on a new military logistics pact known as the known as the axa can you explain how it will be beneficial to both india and japan yeah so axa stands for the acquisition and cross servicing agreement this would allow Jap- japan to refuel and resupply its ship at indian naval bases be it in the andaman and nicobar islands near the st- strategically uh, important malacca straits a maritime right. choke point through which the seaborne trade passes on ports into china japan and elsewhere and also they would get access to mainland indian ports uh, be it on the west coast or the east coast like visakhapatnam or mumbai or uh, karawar uh, Furthermore, uh, in return, Indian Navy will also have access to not only the bases in Japan, but also importantly, the Japanese base in Djibouti in the Horn of Africa in the Western Indian Ocean. Now, both of India and Japan, as you know, are uh, deeply worried about the rise of hegemonic China. Now, China's presence in the Eastern Sea and the Western Pacific is irksome to Japan while India wants to keep China out of its the Indian Ocean region which it considers its own backyard so this is one of the reasons that the Japanese maritime defense force has become a regular participant in the Malabar exercises from I believe 2015 which was an annual exercise between started between India and US way back in 1992 now EXA uh, Apart, India and Japan also pledged to have closer cooperation at the operational level between the navies of the both the countries. So they, in the statement, they said they're recognizing the enhanced exchanges in the expanding maritime domain awareness in the Indo-Pacific region uh, contributes to regional peace and stability. They welcome the signing of the implementation of the arrangement for deeper cooperation between Indian Navy and the Japanese Maritime Self-Defense Forces. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I also believe they have, uh, we have some uh, army exercises also upcoming with between India and Japan. Okay. But that was not mentioned in the uh, statement, but it was a regular occurrence, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so geopolitically also the vision statement uh, given out uh, by both India and uh, Japan 
they had a lot of points catering to both Indian and Japanese needs. For instance, terror found a mention, which is of course palatable to India. Likewise, freedom of navigation and overflight were also mentioned to cater to Japanese uh, sentiments. How do such, uh, how do such uh, statements play out? Yeah, so as we were discussing while well, Japan and Indian bilateral ties uh, happened on their own volition, the rise of China in the past decade uh, has ensured that these countries come even more closer. Mm -hmm. Now, while uh, Pakistan sponsored terrorism might not be uh, have the same sound for Japanese ears, freedom of navigation in the East China Sea similarly doesn't ring alarm bells for Indian ears. However, when looked at it in a larger regional and global context, such things matter. Similarly, it was mentioned that both India and Japan stressed on the North Korea taking up the CVID, the complete verifiable irreversible dismantlement of all uh, weapons of mass destruction and ballistic missile range, uh, of all ranges in accordance with international law. Now, more interesting was the mention of ASEAN in the vision statement. Both mm -hmm. felt that the centrality of ASEAN nations is key to the free and open Indo-Pacific concept. Uh, unity and sovereignty of uh, ASEAN nations, specifically and all of, and of all nations in the Indo-Pacific, is general uh, in key to contribute to the rules-based order, which supports freedom of navigation while adhering to territorial integrity of nations. So, uh, sure, like uh, India and Japan have suggested the need to develop smart islands since 2016 right but have for the first time identified the need to develop smart islands in india now given uh, delhi's renewed focus on developing the andamar and nicobar islands it is safe to note that the smart islands might refer to these joint collaborations in these islands so what will be japan's role in in all of this Okay, so Andaman and Nicobar Islands, uh, which is a set of uh, strategic islands, uh, the set close to all the entry points into the Indian Ocean. Uh, these islands could alter Indian Navy's ability to patrol, to monitor, and to operate in areas further away from the Indian mainland. While the strategic importance of these islands is well known in Delhi, there are significant challenges in developing them. Environmental concerns demand the need for a sustainable and eco-friendly model of development for these islands. There is also a need to considerably upgrade the infrastructure and digital connectivity. Japan is already collaborating with, in with India in laying submarine optical fiber cables connecting Chennai and the Andaman Islands to address the need for significant digital connectivity in the islands. Beyond physical infrastructure, where Japan is a leading actor, mind you, Tokyo can also help build a model for a smart island through sustainable methods like renewable energy, waste management, and ecotourism. The Japanese company Hitachi is leading the smart islands project in the, in the Isles of Sili in the UK archipelago. Uh, the project aims to create a sustainable method of island development, which can then be applied to the UK and beyond. As India continues to map its own development model, collaboration with Japan on strategic islands like the Andamans will contribute significantly in Delhi's ability to operate 
in the Indo-Pacific region. So now uh, one of the highlights of this uh, meet was the and what everybody's especially been talking about is this 75 billion dollars of currency swap agreement. So what's the context and importance of this uh, swap agreement? Right. So uh, as we all know, India and Japan, they have signed a currency swap agreement amounting to 75 billion US dollars. Uh, this has been termed as the biggest currency swap agreement signed by India to essentially stabilize the falling Indian rupee. Also, it's important to note that the previous limit was $50 billion signed in 2014, uh, which was effective until December 2015. Again, India had signed it with Japan even, even then. Okay, so for our listeners, like, uh, can you please elaborate on what exactly is a currency swap agreement? Sure. So currency swap agreements are actually off the balance sheet uh, transactions where two parties or countries agree to exchange each other's currency or some foreign currency at a predetermined interest rate. These agreements are signed between the central banks of uh, the two countries. So out here this time, Japan will be exchanging 75 billion US dollars with India in return for an equivalent amount in Indian rupees. The exchange rate is determined in the agreement and the amount is paid back at this spot rate only after a stipulated time period of uh, three years. So the rate of interest that India will pay on this amount will be determined by the London Interbank Exchange Rate, also called uh, LIBOR, uh, which will approximately be two to three or three and a half percent, which in for all practical purposes is actually very low and hence it is a very lucrative option. So LIBOR is an average of the interest rates offered by top banks in London. Why is it used here? Uh, it's used here simply because of the credibility and the relative stability of uh, LIBOR as, a, as the interest rate. So what is the need for this agreement at this point in time between India and Japan? Right. So uh, as we all know, Indian rupee has been uh, falling uh, uh, quite substantially, so to speak, in the past uh, two to three months. In fact, we had covered it in uh, one of our episodes, episode three to be precise, where we spoke about uh, the Turkish lira meltdown and the impact on uh, emerging markets, including Indian rupee. So uh, because uh, the Indian rupee uh, value came down drastically, India's forex reserves also fell drastically and it fell below the 400 billion US dollar mark and uh, on the 19th of October it was actually 393 billion to be uh, exact and compare that with 426 uh, billion US dollar in April uh, and uh, simply because rupee had depreciated about 14 percent this year. Now what this uh, leads to Yes, our imports are now expensive and the exports are also very cheap. So this was the actual uh, context in which uh, this agreement was uh, signed. Yeah, and for listeners uh, who were not with us like back then, uh, please go back and uh, please kindly check out like episode three where we had talked about the falling uh, Turkish Lira and its impact on Rupee and how it will affect the current account deficit 
and it will deplete our forex reserves and how it will how it could potentially uh, impact the worsening uh, it could worsen the macroeconomic picture for india okay so back to today like uh, so how do we use up this uh, funds from this currency swap agreement mm -hmm. okay so the amount given out by uh, japan is actually available on a tap model to india which means that india can take out money from the account according to their need and interest will only be charged on the amount used not on the entire amount so that is how uh, this uh, whole uh, arrangement would work so does this mean that india is running out of forex reserves uh, not exactly uh, although it is it has come down substantially from 426 to 393 uh, this was more a precautionary measure against an unexpected fall of indian rupee mind you india wants to uh, india's uh, uh, stated goal is to continue building up on their forex reserves so any any dip in uh, forex reserves will only mean that you're actually two steps uh, going back rather than moving forward so uh, to kind of uh, cover the unexpected fall this was a precautionary measure so uh, our forex reserves presently by all accounts uh, they can cover nine months of imports and ideally three months of import cover is preferred and nine months nine months uh, by that uh, standard is actually a luxury mm -hmm. now what is the time period on this currency swap uh, generally it is for uh, three years uh, this uh, agreement and uh, at the end of this uh, period india and japan would exchange their currencies back india would take back the rupees that they had parked with japan and uh, japan would take back the us dollars that they had parked with uh, india in short currency swap can be looked at like a back-to-back -back loan agreement where two parties give loan to each other mm -hmm. now why is japan indulging in such a deal with india against the inr exchange uh, it is actually a win-win situation for japan also uh, because Japan will get rate of interest on its otherwise idle, idle uh, US dollar reserves. And it already enjoys uh, surplus uh, forex reserves. So why not give it a three-year loan to India in exchange for uh, return on investment plus equivalent INR? Uh, that's, the, that's the idea behind uh, mm -hmm. this agreement. Yeah, so this is basically the a hedge against uh, the for the further depreciation of the Indian rupee by shoring up your up your uh, forex reserves so that your current account deficit doesn't become too unmanageable. Exactly. So so for all practical purposes, uh, Japan is actually helping us in our uh, mission to uh, uh, accumulate more foreign exchange reserves. Yeah. Now, were there any other, from apart from the currency swap, what were the other uh, big ticket agreements that were not signed? Uh, as we all know, Japan and India have been negotiating for the past five years to purchase amphibious uh, Shinmaiwa US-2 aircraft. These are large short takeoff and landing amphibious aircraft designed for air sea rescue work. Uh, it was expected that the two nations uh, that, that sorry it was expected that two aircraft would be purchased directly from Japan and two more would be built in India under the Make in India program. However, that that, that announcement did not come about. Probably uh, it, it would be announced at a later date. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Now, now, didn't uh, uh, now President Abe, sorry, Prime Minister Abe did visit China just shortly before Modi's visit to Japan. And I guess even after the visit, like I think Tanvi Madan uh, posted a funny picture where uh, she juxtaposed the Abe's expression meeting with uh, uh, Prime Minister, sorry, President Xi versus uh, Prime Minister Modi, which was kind of a bit funny. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, Shinzo Abe has been on a charm of tension in the region. Uh, just a couple of days before hosting Modi, uh, Abe was in China holding important strategic and economic talks with both uh, Xi Jinping and Li Keqiang. Uh, in fact, this was a deliberate attempt to ease tensions and forge a new round of economic cooperation. Interestingly, actually, Japan and China also agreed to a $30 billion currency swap agreement. This needs to be seen in the backdrop of rising trade tensions between China and the US. Now, irrespective of where Japan and China bilateral ties are headed, which frankly are not substantial, Indo-Japanese ties continue to be on an upswing. Abe's statement, uh, uh, Abe's statement basically, a strong India benefits Japan and a strong Japan benefits India I think uh, summed it all up uh, for us. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, yeah, yeah, it ahead. looks like uh, like the 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 picture uh, said a thousand words. The 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 Abe's with G like looked like a forced visit and a forced relationship, while like Modi's uh, picture with. Uh, Shinzo Abe showed that there was a much friendly and cordial and they really wanted to develop deepen this relationship. True. The picture said a thousand words in my opinion. True, true. Yeah. Yeah. So looked at from another perspective, the Indo-Japan relations are, are not glamorous or flashy. Rather, the trials are more predictable in nature. It is almost like we can predict what the next round of delegation talks will lead to. And this kind of a situation provides the much needed stability in today's day and age, where uh, Trump's United States and uh, Xi Jinping's China are determined to bring in more unpredictability. Uh, in a multipolar world, both Japan and India emerge as middle powers, and they have their own sets of roles and responsibilities. Both are focused on keeping the Indo-Pacific away from the hold of uh, revisionist power. Uh, uh, China, uh, which is generally called as the revisionist power. So in this regard, the statement made in the vision statement was uh, self-explanatory. And I quote, India and Japan must endeavor to work together for a rules-based and inclusive world order that fosters trust and confidence by enhancing communication and connectivity to ensure rule of law, unimpeded trade, and flow of people, technology, and ideas for shared prosperity. Uh, also, PM Modi recognized that uh, the Indo-Japan relationship has been transformed into a partnership with great substance and purpose, and is a cornerstone of India's Act East policy. Prime Minister Abe underscored the basic importance of Indo-Japan relationship for the regional order and determined to advance in the new era in Indo-Japan relations, so as to further cooperate for peace, stability, and prosperity of Indo-Pacific.
unquote so uh folks like we have an update on an earlier episode uh, we did refer to episode 3 uh, earlier in this uh, current uh, episode so us and turkey have began uh, mutual lifting our sanctions now remember we had extensively discussed in episode this episode 3 about the impact of the fall of the turkish currency the lira on emerging markets around the world including its impact on the indian markets and the specifically the fall of the Indian rupee. So now it has been reported that both countries, US and Turkey, have agreed to lift sanctions after a phone call between Turkish President Erdogan and US President Trump. Now remember that Turkey had freed a Christian evangelical pastor, Andrew Brunson, who after spending uh, eight, almost 18 months in a Turkish prison was freed. And we have spoken, we had spoken earlier that Turkey could can simply release the pastor to improve its bilateral ties with the US. So finally, coming to the recommendation sections, uh, if you're listening to our episode for the first time, each episode we recommend to you any book article or any other read that we feel might interest you. Keeping the practice going, Kishore, what is your recommendation for this week? Uh, I would actually uh, recommend your article, uh, which was published on uh, Mind.net, wherein you kind of explained uh, the context in which uh, the US midterm elections are being held uh, on uh, Tuesday and uh, how uh, it is shaping up to be one of the closest elections in a long time. Uh, generally, the trend for the uh, ruling party uh, to lose badly in the midterm elections and uh, if that is what uh, is the foregone conclusion then the democrats will have to win um, hands down but uh, you seem to uh, differ where you kind of claim that it may not be as easy as the democrats think uh, think uh, that it might be so yeah that is a fascinating uh, read and uh, i would urge all uh, listeners to read it yeah thanks for the reply kishore yeah, and yeah, for yeah. this week, uh, similarly, I would like to recommend uh, Kishore's uh, article, which was released uh, yesterday on the evolving geostrategic scenario in the Middle East, uh, with Israel reaching out to the various Arab states. And uh, he links it to the, uh, the upcoming peace deal to be soon to be announced by President Trump. Yep. Thank you for the plug. Yeah. So that's dear listeners wraps up today's uh, episode on the 13th annual summit of India and Japan. We hope you do have now have a vivid understanding of the impact it might have on India Japan relations. So if you have any comments or suggestions, do let us know by commenting below to continue hearing about such interesting topics. Please do subscribe to our channel India rising strategic affairs conversations with Mohal and Kishore. And please do remember to tap on the bell icon to be notified whenever a new episode comes out. We would also like to hear from you if you have any suggestions or any topics that you would like us to cover. Uh, please do remember that these topics need to be related directly to Indian foreign policy. Until the next episode, this is Mohal and Kishore signing off. <laughs>